0: Pastor Mel, thank you for your very kind hospitality. It has been wonderful being here. Uh, The man I reported to when I was senior pastor was Elder Johnny, and he was the chairman of the board. Today, he's our missions director on staff with us. And Elder Johnny, please convey to Covenant EFC, I am very thankful for the church setting Anne and I apart to minister to the body of Christ. I believe in divine appointment, and that's why I'm here. I asked your senior pastor, how long do I have to speak? He says, you take as long as you like, so long as you don't miss your flight. <laughs> so we're going to stay until midnight. <laughs> in, in 1973, I read a book entitled The Treasury of Jewish Humor. And up till today, I still remember a particular story I read from Isaac Asimov. As the story goes, it was set in the time of Claudius Caesar, where he issued an edict for the Jews to be chased out of Rome. They cannot stay in Rome. But the Jews wanted to be there, so they had a council of Jewish elders. And and as they deliberated, they decided, let's send a petition to Caesar. Please let us stay in Rome. Caesar said, yes, you can stay in Rome on one condition. You debate with me and you win the debate. Which one could debate against Caesar when Caesar is the debater, the judge, and the jury? So none of the Jewish elders would take on that awesome and onerous responsibility until as they were deliberating who to represent them in the debate, there was a young Jewish road sweeper. He came and said, I will do it. And the elders chided him. We are your elders. We dare not take on this solemn responsibility. You are an uneducated Jewish road sweeper. How could you possibly debate against the great mighty Caesar? But because nobody volunteered, ultimately they agreed, okay young men, take over and you represent the Jewish community. That day came, Caesar was high and mighty on the throne. On his left hand was his encyclopedia, right hand his counsellors. And the Jewish road sweeper was coming up to him, sweeping his way to Caesar. And that day was known in history as the day of the greatest debate. Caesar stood up and he pointed one finger across the heavens. And the road sweeper pointed one finger to the ground. And Caesar looked surprised. Caesar pointed one finger at the road sweeper. And the road sweeper pointed three fingers at Caesar. And Caesar looked perplexed. Caesar took out an apple and showed to the crowd and showed to the road sweeper. Roseweeper smiled and showed a Jewish breath to Caesar. And Caesar declared, the Jews have won. They may stay in Rome. At the end of such a debate, the counsellors came to, to uh, Caesar and the wise men asked, mighty Caesar, your wisdom is beyond us. Can you explain for us the debate? It was a silent debate. No words were exchanged. Caesar says, well, I saw this young man I tested him on his theology. I said, in the heavens, there's only one God. The Jews believe that. And if he agreed with me, I would have laughed him to scorn and say, I Caesar, I am that God, get out of my sight. The Jews would have lost. But smart young man as he was, he pointed to the ground and reminded me, underneath, there is still Satan below. And I can't really agree with him because he would say to me, you, you Caesar, you are like Satan chasing us out. So I insisted, but you Jews said there's only one God in heaven, don't you? And they say, Caesar, don't you know that the Christians are saying there's a trinity? So I realised he's very astute in theology. I moved from theology to science. I say my wisest astronomers are discovering that the world is round like an apple. And he tells me, of course, we already know that, but we must respect our forefathers who believe it's flat as a piece of Jewish bread. Smart man, he has won the debate. The Jewish leaders took the young man in the marketplace, threw him up and down in celebration. And all he said was, let me down. Let me down. I want to debate Caesar. And they told him this debate is over. What do you mean by over? We haven't started yet. So the Jewish elders came and asked, what happened in that sign language? You want to hear his interpretation? I came up to Caesar. He chased me out of Rome. And I said, I want to stay. What about the one finger and the three finger? Caesar told me, I give you one warning, you better leave. I said, Caesar, I'm here to debate you. You give me three warnings, I still have to stay for the debate. The Jewish elders now are perplexed. They look at the young man and ask, what about the apple and the bread? The young man said, that's the funny part. He took out his lunch, I took out mine. Very often in life, we misinterpret because we cannot understand the fundamentals. When it comes to discipleship and disciple-making, when it comes to walking with God, when it comes to the difficult times that challenges our discipleship, whether it's a mountain before you or, or an uncrossable river, whatever the obstacle, the Bible tells us never misinterpret the intentions, the purposes, at the principles of God. And in the Scriptures, in one definitive episode, is given to us the biblical clues, the biblical principles of how to stand victorious in difficult times that we can cross the uncrossable. Now, you must understand, it's easy to talk about discipleship when things are smooth. But when things get difficult, we tend to get our messages gobbled. We we tend to misinterpret things. We get worried and fearful. And we fail to walk in the triumphant joy and the power of God in our lives. Today, from the story of Joshua and the crossing of the River Jordan, I want to share with you three transformational principles so that we would never misunderstand what God has said or misinterpret what He has said as to the key to the victorious Christian life when times are difficult. So turn it me in your Bibles now, in Joshua chapter 3, and you find that in Joshua 3, it tells us that there was a crossing of a river. It was impossible. But Joshua, by faith, crossed the river. Why? Because he held fast to the fundamentals. You see, a hundred years ago, the Titanic sank and many perished. But among the survivors was a rich man by the name of Major Arthur Pukin. And he told of the time he knew the Titanic was sinking. He rushed to his stateroom room because in the corner was a safe. He wants to retrieve the cash and the jewellery and the bonds. And while he was doing so, he realised the cold hard cash and the jewellery means nothing in the icy waters of the Titanic. He slammed the the safe shut. Instead, his attention was turned to three oranges on the stage room table. He stuffed it into his pocket because he didn't know how long he will be at sea. At least the oranges could quench his thirst or give some nutrition. Three oranges. The point is, in the cataclysmic moment of the Titanic sinking, Major Arthur Pukin was able to discern the essentials, from the non-essentials. What I want to share with you today is the essentials. How do you cross the uncrossable? How do you know that God is leading you and hold fast to it? The first principle is having the heart to follow. Having the heart to follow God. Having the heart to follow His will. Having the heart to follow His leading. It all begins with the heart. I know of many Christians who say, I don't know where God is leading. I don't know what to do. Actually, the problem is not ignorance. The problem is with the heart. Do we have the heart to follow? Because if you do, God will lead. And here's the principle I want to give to you in terms of following God. When you do what you know, you will know what to do. When you do what you know, you will know what to do. So don't say, I I don't know where God is leading. I don't know what to do. Don't panic. Relax. Because God is leading you. If you have the heart to follow Him, then simply say, God, you lead me. I will do what I know. And God will show you what to do. You will know what to do. Joshua 3.3 And they commanded the people saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, with the Levitical priest carrying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it, pursue it, follow it. You see, we got to understand where the narrative lens of the Scripture was focusing on. This was a defining moment for Joshua's leadership. He has taken over from Moses. Who can possibly take over spiritual leadership from the great Moses? So this young Commander Joshua, faced with an uncrossable river, and God says, cross it and enter the land and possess the land. He stands there, and in the story, it was a defining moment for him. In the story, the narrative lens wasn't focused on the river. I mean, think about it. If I am a Hollywood producer and I'm filming the crossing of the Jordan, my lenses will be focused on the river. Now I'm a Singaporean, we Singaporeans don't know about rivers. The only river we have in Singapore is like the Singapore River, at least the only significant well-known river. The rest like Kaling River is, uh, is nothing. Even the Singapore River is only a big drain. In the days of Joshua, in the Jordan River, The river is about a quarter mile to three quarter miles wide. In the springtime, the late spring, when the mountain snows in the north melted, like Mount Hermon and the other mountains, there is a torrential flood that makes it impossible to cross. But the lens wasn't on the river. If I were a Hollywood producer, my, my narrative lens would be upon Joshua the commander. I will capture his face. I will try to portray his faith. I, I will try to understand what's going through his mind. But the focus wasn't on Joshua. If I were a Hollywood producer, focusing on the river, focusing on Joshua, I would pan and focus on the people. I will show you their sense of anxiety or their sense of anticipation as, we, as they are about to cross the uncrossable. But the biblical lenses wasn't on Joshua, wasn't on the people, wasn't on the river. Then what was it on? It was on a small box, four and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide, two and a half feet deep called the Ark of the Covenant. And to the Jews, the Ark of the Covenant carried by the Levitical priests, it represents the presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant in this episode, in this narrative, was mentioned 10 times. It's so that we don't miss it. The Ark, the Ark, the Ark, the Ark. By the 10 times, you go like, I understand what this is all about. It's about the Ark of God. Not the river, the Ark. Not the commander, the Ark. Not the people, the Ark. You get the idea? When you are faced with a difficult problem in your life, don't focus on the circumstances. Don't focus on yourself. Don't focus on the people. Start by focusing on the ark of the covenant, the presence of God. That's the secret to overcoming. Where does your focus lie? On your circumstance, the people, yourself, or on God? Have a heart to follow God whom you focus on. Don't just say, I will focus on God. Yes, you focus on God in order to follow Him and to follow Him, you must have the heart. Now, I have learned in the Christian life when we choose to follow God, He will lead us and very often, the leading of the Lord takes us out of our comfort zone. That's why people don't like to follow God. I mean if I focus on God, I follow God and suddenly everything passes and it's wonderful of course I will follow but what if I follow God and He calls me out of my comfort zone, that's where it's hard to follow but that's where you must have the heart to follow coming out of your comfort zone now we have all kinds of comfort zones all kinds of mental blocks that, that we give as excuses for not following God One of the times I needed to come out of my comfort zone was many years ago. This is probably 15 years or more ago, 18 years ago. I was ministering in East Malaysia. when, with a group of Singapore pastors to minister. We rotated to take turns to preach. That night, I wasn't preaching. I was sitting in front. My friend was preaching. I was praying for him, praying for the congregation. And then the Lord said to me, Son, go behind. I thought it was a great idea because when I go behind, I can see my friend preaching in front. I can see all the congregation and I could pray for them. And so I stood behind and I prayed for the people and my friend who was preaching. As I was praying, suddenly the Lord spoke to me. Unannounced, suddenly, son, dance. I'm Chinese. I'm not a Jew. Jews dance, Chinese don't. I am a conservative, non-dancing evangelical. But I told the Lord, Lord, every time you speak to me, confirm by your word. And the word of the Lord came. David danced before the Lord. And in my heart, I took objection. I said, David is Jew, so he could dance as much. I, I can't. Now, here's my problem. Even if I wanted to dance, I don't know how. But the Lord challenged me, will you obey? I was totally out of my comfort zone. The only comfort I have was is behind, not in front. I was thinking like, man, I'm an evangelical pastor. I have a reputation to keep. What is this dancing? I'm a non-charismatic, non-Pentecostal, evangelical son of a non-charismatic. I can't, I can't. Now I have a very good, I have very good Pentecostal, charismatic friends. But I'm not like that, so I don't know how. But it became a lordship issue. Will you obey? I had a heart to follow. It was way outside my comfort zone. I don't know why God tortured me like that. But I decided to dance and I twirl around and dance the worst dance in the history of the Christian church. When I obeyed, suddenly the Holy Spirit spoke to me Very clearly, a prophetic word of knowledge Son, there's a woman dressed in yellow Her husband has just left her Her heart is broken Go to her and say, I the Lord, I'm your husband I love you, I'll take care of you I opened my eyes, I had a shock of my life For some reason that night There were so many women dressed in yellow (laughs) Which one? Can you imagine going to the wrong one? Excuse me, your husband has just left you. No, my husband is here. Are you thinking of leaving me? I, I cannot be party to domestic violence. Or what if I go to another and say, your husband has just left you. No, I'm not married. Your future husband. I, I can't say that, right? So I say, Lord, which one? The meeting was about, I was over. I walked down the central aisles, looked at the left, the right, there were so many women, Lord, which one? And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me very clearly. Son, relax. I am not a God of uh, accident or chance. As a sign to you that I have spoken to you, your wife is already speaking to her. I went, I, I did not go like really true. no, no. I went like faith burst in my soul this is of god it's very simple to see i am just walking to the front to see whether this is true if it's true i know if it's not true then i know so it's very simple but faith burst in my heart i walked to the front and was talking to a woman dressed in yellow with fullness of faith i i stopped and i said excuse me for a while i have something to say to this lady your husband has just left you your heart is broken This is the word of the Lord for you. I, the Lord, I'm your husband. I love you. And the Lord said, I will take care of you. She started to cry. It must be God. He took a stranger who knows nothing about my deepest pain to tell me of the highest hope and promise I have in God. My wife and I laid hands to pray for her and I wish I had a video camera that day. The countenance changed. There was a sense of the presence and the peace of God. That night when I went back to the hotel room, Anne kept asking me, how did you know? How did you know? And I said, <clears throat> I dance. <laughs> but you know it's not the dancing. It's the willingness to come out of our comfort zone. For me, it was a theological box to come out of our comfort zone and having a heart to follow God. Maybe today, God is calling you to come out of your comfort zone, to have a heart to follow Him, and to follow Him in the light of the revelation of His Word, the veracity and the truthfulness of His promises, because this is the transformational key for discipleship through difficult times in your life. There is a second principle. In having the heart to follow, you find you encounter the divine presence. The second is having the faith to believe. We find this in Joshua chapter 3, verse 13. It shall come about when the souls of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one place. having the faith to believe the promises of God. Now, please notice, it is not up to Joshua to negotiate with God either the timing of the crossing or the manner of the crossing. Joshua did not go to God and say, excuse me, God, you don't understand about rivers. Let me tell you a bit about it. This is flood time. It is impossible to cross. So Lord, uh, do us a favour, have mercy upon us. Uh, let us cross maybe in two weeks' time when the waters subside a bit. We will do a check every three days and when the waters subside, we will get back to you. Don't call me, I will call you. Joshua did not negotiate with God as to the timing of the crossing. It was an inconvenient time to say the least. But Joshua believed God. And Joshua did not negotiate with God the manner of the crossing. The manner was very clear. By faith, take the ark representing the presence of God, step into the river, and when the soles of your feet should stand in the river, the waters will part. The waters will be cut off. He believed. Can you imagine Joshua trying to devise his own way of getting the people across? Can you imagine Joshua saying, okay guys, listen, God is calling us to cross. It's a difficult river. It's flood-tide. I tell you what you do. We're going to divide all of you into three groups. Listen carefully now. Those of you who are professional swimmers, come to this side. You will swim across. Those of you who are not sure if you could swim, Caleb is waiting for you at the riverside you have some remedial class in swimming, have some practice strokes, and when you're more confident, join the professional swimmers and you swim across. Now, listen up for those of you third group non-swimmers, let's have a prayer meeting, we'll pray for you. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't do that. He believed by faith. God said, you take the ark, the presence of God, you step in, the waters will part. You see, not only do we have the have the heart to follow, the heart to follow means we must have the faith to believe. Believe what? Believe the promises of God. Believe the faithfulness of God. Because our God is a mighty and faithful God. I believe God answers prayer. When I was a young man in 1985, I think, yeah, it was about 1985, I went to a operation mobilisation camp. I was in Bible college. When I went to the camp, they made me a leader to take charge of a group and they gave me an assignment. They said, okay, we are sending different groups out for evangelism. Your assignment is that you are to take a small group of uh, young people to pray that the Lord will hold the reign so that the groups can go out for evangelism. So after lunch, we went up to the prayer room. We were praying, Lord, hold the rain, as the various OM groups went out for evangelism. Now, this is Seremban. In the monsoon season in, in West Malaysia, in December, it is not easy in the monsoon season to say, God, you stop the rain. Because while we were praying, the shuttles and the window in the old school was banging. And it was very distracting, so I wanted to shut the shutter and lock it while the young people were praying. As I went to, clo- as I went to close the, the window, I saw something that disheartened my heart. The whole sky was with dark storm clouds. There was thunder in the distance. There were strong winds. In a monsoon season, you have dark clouds, strong wind, uh, thunder. It's like it's going to pour any time soon. I stood there, I didn't know what to do. I'm the leader. I was a young man. I didn't know what to do. And all I remember was Jesus the master in coming the storm. By faith he said, peace be still. So following the example of my master, I mustered all the faith in my heart and I said with great faith, peace be still. I opened my eyes, it started to drizzle. <laughs> Now I'm in serious trouble. In the monsoon season, when it started to drizzle, good night, game over, finished. I said to the Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. And the Lord taught me the greatest lesson of faith that day. He said to me, give thanks. Give thanks, but it's going to rain, it's going to pour. Give thanks. You, you know how is it sometimes God whispers, uh, short sentences little words in our soul but it implodes with our soul with layers and layers of meaning i understood what god meant even if it paused. the purposes of god and the advance of the kingdom cannot be stopped Faith came to my heart and I went to the young people who were praying, Lord, stop the rain, stop the rain. I said, stop, we don't need to pray that anymore. Our Lord have heard. Now we will rejoice, we will give thanks, we will praise God that even if the rain comes, the purposes of God cannot be drenched. The kingdom of God cannot be stopped. We thank God for an unstoppable kingdom. So we started giving thanks. Peter Maiden, one of the OM directors, Uh, reported that night to all the campus. He said, I stepped into the prayer room. It was as if Pentecost had come down. The young people were giving thanks and uh, worshipping God. The presence of God was there. The next day, I was now leading the young people out for evangelism. And as I was leading them out for evangelism, the sky was turning dark. And, and the Lord spoke to me, son, stand, stand in this open field. Send them out for evangelism, but you stand and pray. So I sent the young people out for evangelism. I was the youth leader. I stood on the ground and I prayed. I thought it was a short prayer, like maybe 15, maybe 20 minutes. But you know how is it in the presence of God time flew? It was like an hour had passed and, and the first person who have finished evangelism is now already coming back. The first person who came back tapped me on the shoulder and said, Edmund, look up, look up. I looked up, I had a shock of my life. I've never seen anything like that. Because up in the heavens, there was a line in the heaven. I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating, there was a line in the heaven. In front were all the white clouds where the young people went out for evangelism. Behind were all the dark storm clouds. And in the place of prayer was the dividing line between light and darkness. God answers prayer. He was pushing back the forces of darkness in that sense. He was answering prayer that the kingdom and the light of God might advance. Oh, people of God, have the faith to believe that our God is really a mighty God. Whatever your circumstance in in life, whatever your difficulties, whatever your challenges, it could be your work, your family, your relationships, your health, your money, whatever it is, God is in control. Rest in Him. He is faithful. Have the heart to follow and have the faith to believe. Now here comes the greatest lesson of all. And the greatest lesson of all, the third principle, have the courage to act. Have the courage to act. It is not sufficient to say, Lord, I have the heart to follow You. I have the faith to believe in You, but you don't have the courage to act upon what God calls you to. Now we assume, we assume that the people of God, as they moved in strength and faith, that God told them, listen, God is as Joshua told them, God is gonna act mightily now. You step in the waters, God had promised it will part. You know what that means, people? It simply means that they must step in the water. You get it? You you assume that this is the water. Or maybe for better illustration, if you don't mind, where the pulpit is right here. This is the water. This is the land. I am a priest carrying the ark. This is the land. This line here is the water. Here is the water, right? So, I'm carrying the ark, walking towards the water. As I walk towards the water, did the water's part? No, why? Because the Lord said you step in, right? You got to have the courage to act, to step in. Now, what if I come at the bank of the river? Did the waters part? No. What if I did this? <laughs> did the waters part? No. Because I'm told to step in, not to test the water. Part, part. No. Now, by faith, I took the Ark of the Covenant with the Levitical priest, stepped into the waters. Did the waters part? No. Nothing happened. I don't know about you, I hate to be either the priest or Joshua that day. The priest will go like, oh, oh somebody messed up. We'll end up prickles here with the waters rushing down. Nothing is happening. I don't want to be Joshua that day because everybody was going, Ruah! Ruah! The battle cry of Israel. And then after that, nothing happened. And all of them turned to Joshua like, whoa, somebody messed up big time. If I were Joshua, I would go like, God, please don't play me out. Do something. Because nothing was happening. I know what some of you are thinking. Pastor, what do you mean nothing is happening? The waters parted. Read the Scriptures very carefully. Look at Joshua 3, verse 15 and 16. 15 for the background, 16 for the interpretation of the text. And when those who carried the ark came into the Jordan, and the feet of the priest carrying the ark was dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. Verse 16. The waters which was flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. There you see the waters parted. It was cut off. It rose up in one heap. But read the entire passage. They rose up in one heap, a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Sarathane. Now, the water's there. At Adam, the city beside Sarathane was completely cut off. The Bible says it is very far away. The Bible tells us it's a great distance away. For a long time, Bible scholars don't know where the city of Adam is. Thankfully, they found the city of Jerethain. As they excavated, they found oh, the city of Adam, from where the people were with Joshua, straight across Jericho, to the city of Jerethain was about twelve to fifteen miles away. Now, if you've been to Jordan River, you cannot see upstream twelve to fifteen miles. So when the waters are parted 12 to 15 miles, you know what that means? Here's what it means. Priests carry the ark, step into the river. Water has stopped immediately 12 to 15 miles away. But what it means is that they have at least 12 miles of water still coming down. And when you have 12 miles of water that is coming down, not 12 inches, 12 miles, it's as if nothing has happened. Although the miracle has already happened. Begun. Now, here's my question. When I study this text, what intrigued me is why did God part the waters so far away that the Bible says a great distance away? Was it because God delegated it to an angel? Okay, angels, anyone wanted to do water parting miracles? And Gabriel, go, me, Lord, me. Okay, Gabriel, come and try. Lord, is it now? Is it now? No, wait, they must step in. Lord, is it now? Yes, Angel Gabriel but because he was a novice at it, oops, I'm sorry, Lord, it's so far away. No, God didn't dedicate it to an angel. It was the act of God. Could it be that God woke up one day a bit tired, sleepy, didn't have his cosmic caffeine fix, blurry eye, oh, it's water parting time. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Right, and because he was sleepy, (laughs) he went 12 to 15 miles away? no. The Bible tells us God neither slumbers nor sleeps. So here's the compelling question. If God did not delegate it out, if God is not losing His power, if God is Almighty, why did this Almighty God part the waters so far away? There is one answer that satisfied my mind and thinking. It is to strengthen their faith. It is to help them to see that even though they have the heart to follow, the faith to believe, the courage to act, they must wait upon the timing and the deliverance of God. Because God has His time. Already the waters have parted. Already the miracle has begun. But they need to enroll into God's waiting school. You see, God's waiting school is one of the hardest schools to enroll in but one of the most important universities for the development of faith, God's waiting school. Some of you are praying long prayers, praying sincere prayers. Lord, help me in this circumstance. Nothing seems to be happening. Understand, it is God's waiting school He has enrolled you in. So continue to stand fast in the purposes of God. And more importantly, let your faith be robust and strong in the faithfulness of God. You see, as far as the Jews were concerned in those days, their faith wasn't so much in God, their faith was in faith itself. Let me explain what it means. You know how is it like falling in love? Sometimes we think we are falling in love with this person. Actually, the person could be falling in love with the idea of falling in love rather than falling in love with a person. That's why after marriage, the truth will be told. My point is that we can say, I'm exercising faith, but it may be faith in faith rather than faith in God. Let me explain. They have faith in faith in that they had an old paradigm. You know what paradigm they had? The paradigm of Moses and the Red Sea. You remember Moses and the Red Sea? How many of you have seen the Ten Commandments, Charleston, Heston, Whoa, it shows your age. It's a long time ago. How many of you have seen the animated version, the Prince of Egypt? It also shows your age. I have seen both of them. I like the Prince of Egypt version. It was very dramatic. Prince of Egypt. Moses took the star. Bang, boom, the waters parted. That's exactly how the Jews anticipated, the people of God anticipated the waters to part. They anticipated when the Ark of the Covenant was into the river, boom, the waters part, but nothing seems to be happening because they were having an old paradigm that God wants to shift them from. God wants to teach them a principle I want to give to you today. And the principle is God wants them to know this is a new day where God is doing a new work in a new way. And I pray for you and for me that we will enter a new day with God where God is doing a new work in your life, a new work in your church. And you must allow God to do a new work upon this new day in a whole new way as you have the heart to follow, the faith to believe, and the courage to act. Because when nothing seems to be happening, already God has answered the prayer I call it the theology of the God of the already. When we pray, we thank the Lord. Lord, already you hear, already you answer. Give me the patience and the faith to wait for your perfect timing. So three important principles of overcoming victoriously in your Christian life. Have the heart to follow. Have the faith to believe, have the courage to act, and as you follow the Lord's leading in your life, know this our God is faithful, your God is mighty and faithful. Stand fast in the faithfulness of God, and then you will see the waters part and you will cross the uncrossable would you bow with me would you bow with me in prayer Heavenly Father we ask for faith to arise in our hearts this day so that even though times may be challenging or difficult help us to realize that these are defining moments of faith where we are truly built up so help us dear God give us a heart to follow the faith to believe, and the courage to act. We thank You in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.